Welcome to Get on the Mend from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy. So with evidence-based advice from our physicians, researchers, and healthcare providers, take charge of your health. In part two of our look at mental health, Dr. Stephanie Moses, TTUHSC Associate Professor and Licensed Psychologist, joins us once again from the Permian Basin. She's here to talk to us about how to manage stress, depression, and anxiety, when to seek professional help, how to talk to your children about managing stressful situations, and she reminds us that it's okay not to be okay, and especially to tell our loved ones that you see them and that you care. Dr. Stephanie Moses, thank you for coming back on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. So last time we talked about mental health in general in the past year. And this time you're going to talk to us about how we deal with all this, all these stressors and when is the appropriate time to get help? Yes. So uh, let's just start. What is the difference between stress and conditions like depression or anxiety? Mm-hmm. Well, I can sum that up kind of in one sentence, and then I'll break down what I'm saying, and, and we'll get into the details of it. Stressors are normal, part of everyday life. We all experience them. Typically, we will tend to stress over something that is going on in our lives that we're uncertain of how it will end, and there's an element in it that we just can't predict, and that typically what tends to promote stress. So it's a normal thing. Most people are impacted by their stressors, by things like sleep, maybe an inability to concentrate, but on a minimal level. And what I mean by minimal is if there then is a priority activity or responsibility, being able to accomplish that just fine. And although you feel stress, you can care for your children. You can complete your homework assignments on time. You can complete work assignments. Even if they may not have the quality you want them to, you feel as though there's a certain element of accomplishment when you have done these things daily. Depression and anxiety are a little different. So depression has symptoms that overlap with stress and they overlap with anxiety. For instance, if she's concentrating, like I just mentioned, is she sleeping? sleeping too little or too much, issues with appetite, eating too little or too much, feelings of maybe withdrawal or lack of motivation uh, is another symptom of depression, just having a hard time getting going. Uh, So depression has what we call a cluster of symptoms. We know it's depression when it lingers. Most of the time, if it's just stress, you experience maybe some slight symptoms in in a minor way, some slight symptoms. And then they go away on their own or when the stressful event has passed, for instance, you've turned in your paper or you've completed a a project at work, then you feel relieved. With depression, it doesn't really feel like you're relieved. It can be there an intense level, all of those symptoms, plus a few more that I haven't mentioned. But the major impact is that it, it disrupts your daily functioning over time. So typically a healthcare provider like myself will look for this, these symptoms to have been going on for about two months. And so the majority of your two months has been disruptions in completing the required responsible tasks or daily life for that amount of time to have the initial diagnosis of depression. Uh, For anxiety, very similar issues, concentrating issues, maybe eating. Now, anxiety can be physical 
which means in your body or kind of in your head, your thoughts, right? So the in your body ones are the ones like the concentration, the issue, the sleep. Sometimes you can feel your heart racing or pounding. We've all experienced that. Uh, Sometimes you can feel shortness of breath or difficulty breathing. That then feels and can lead to panic attack. So that's the physical component of anxiety. And the other component, the thoughts, we call it cognitive or mental component of anxiety tends to be how we think we're worried about stuff. You know, we all know what that feels like. Once again, anxiety on a minor level, which means it does not disrupt your daily functioning and ability to complete all required tasks and responsibilities. Absolutely normal, right? We all have that. Our bodies are made like that. We've heard of the fight or flight. That's a big component of anxiety. So as long as it's not lingering and disrupting daily tasks over time, again, then it's considered normal. So you can see that what we really look for as healthcare providers to tell the difference is how long it's been going on, how intense the symptoms are, how frequent they are, and if they're clustering together. With stress, you may not have a cluster of symptoms. You might just have difficulty sleeping, maybe a little concentration, but you don't have this full cluster of symptoms. And it typically takes your healthcare provider to know your symptoms And if you're exhibiting four or five symptoms, depending on the condition that they're trying to evaluate you for, that's then how we get to your diagnosis that it's different. So just to kind of recap that, if you're experiencing symptoms that are disrupting your daily functioning over time, right, not one or two days, not one or two weeks, one or two months, that's when we start to be concerned and we want to intervene. We want you to have treatment. Because if we don't treat, it could get a lot worse and it could get worse faster. So what can people do to deal with these stressors? Yeah, you know, so no matter whether it's stress or anxiety or depression, no matter what you feel like you're experiencing, a couple of things that we can do to to deal with these current events and these life stressors is turn off the news, (laughs) You know, turn it off, balance it with getting outside. Also, I know this is not going to be a popular thing that I'm going to say at all, but limit social media. You know, we mentioned in in the previous uh, podcast, the impact and influence of that immediacy and that gratification and not being able to turn off because it's always there and you can always keep swiping, right? Sometimes we're just addicted to even the motion of swiping, I think. So limit your, your interaction and the time spent on social media. Social media has, uh, has been shown to have this impact on us that even if it's not about the current events going on, we then will seek to see what other people, uh, our quote-unquote friends, like who are on our friends list, what their lives are like, and then we'll compare that. Well, if you're already in a stressful mindset and are experiencing life stressors, that's not going to help, right? Because what we see is what people present, which is everything's great. In which case, not everything is great for everyone all the time. So it can skew our perspective of other people's lives and how it compares to our own. So limit social media, limit the news or radio, and do things that are a little more positive. Engage in mindfulness activities. And I know that that can be cliche at this time, but it can really help. What mindfulness simply is, is being in tune with what is going on around you right in the moment. So remember, anxiety can be a product of worry, right? And thinking too far forward or too far back about things that haven't happened or that have already happened that we have little to no control over. So if you center yourself and really understand and are aware of what's going on in your body, 
by breathing, by trying to see what your heart rate feels like, by naming three things that you see, hear, feel, using your senses, that can really center you and kind of takes the element off of it. It also provides a healthy distraction. Healthy distractions are key. That's listening to music, engaging socially with friends or people around you that you consider safe. Because let's be honest, not everyone is a safe person to talk to, especially if you're having a hard time. Also too, little things like putting up pictures around your home or your office space of fun times, right? What we don't realize is how much information we take in visually, even if it's not a thought associated with it. So using visual stimulants that are pleasing, uh, maybe even cleaning your home. When our home or office spaces, our workspaces are tidy, at least, uh, that makes us feel a little bit better. But when it's cluttered on the outside, your space is cluttered on the outside, you feel cluttered on the inside. I think the most important thing that we can do, though, is balancing all of this, but make sure you take time to connect with those people who are important to you. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had a lot of connection time and Zoom happy hours with friends and Zoom Thanksgiving. And I know everyone is sick of Zoom, but I think if we could put a daily part of our lives, 15 minutes, uninterrupted, unobstructed, without phones and television and tablets, and engage with your really good friends, engage with your spouse, engage with your children, and just really pour into that, that tends to recenter us. And it releases the endorphins and the dopamine that make us all happy and feel some part of joy. Also, too, the other thing is keep things in perspective. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to catastrophize. And what that means is we start thinking that everything is horrible and it's never going to end. And that can be discouraging. Most things, the majority of things that we're experiencing are time limited. They'll go away. Um, And so remembering that, too, could really help manage these experiences of stress or depression or anxiety or whatever it is you may be experiencing in those moments. And if we are experiencing that, should we talk to our children about these issues? I think it's essential to talk to our kids about what's going on because, you know, our kids are plugged in too. They have phones at very young ages and tablets, and I will be perfectly honest with you. I am one of those moms, too, that gives my four-year-old a tablet and says, go play. Well, she's getting information. My eight-year-old is getting information, and they're hearing what their friends are talking about at school. So even if you feel like your children have been sheltered or kept away from some of the more disturbing things that are going on in society, they probably know a little bit about it. I as a parent, would much rather have my child know from me what's going on and let me explain it than not know what kind of information they're getting. So the way that I approach conversations with my own children, and I have four from ages four up to 16, is at an age-appropriate level, I try to seek for, to understand first what they know. What do you know about this? What are you hearing about this? That way I can correct any misinformation and fill in the gaps I also use that time to teach the values that we uphold in our household. But the main message that I think that I tend to tell them at all their different age levels is acceptance and respect of other people, even with differing opinions. You know, a lot of what's going on and a lot of the conflict that we're seeing in our society is simply different perspectives. You know, it's Not much more than that. Not a lot of this conflict is based on fact. It's based on a perception or a judgment. Uh, I think that 
my children, I hope that they know that it's okay for someone to have a different opinion. It doesn't mean that you guys can't be friends, but we're going to treat people out of kindness and respect. All of these are the values that we uphold in our house. So my four-year-old, it might sound like, well, no, you, you treat people with kindness and you don't be mean because she's, or he is different. And my 16-year-old, some of the conversations are, look, this is what's going on. You were maybe targeted because you're an African-American male and you're now driving independently on your own. So here's what it looks like if you get stopped by the police officers, or here's the importance of you getting the vaccine because you are an athlete and your life is moving on. So he understands at a different level than my four-year-old. So at an age-appropriate level, understand what they know, then fill in the gaps with what you believe that they can understand, and always invite them to ask you questions. The best way to know what your child knows is to have them ask. You know, at the end of the day, you don't want to be bombarded with your kiddos asking a ton of questions. But when they are initiating those conversations, do your best to try to stop and pour in and you know, engage just for a couple of minutes, depending on the age of your child, they don't want to talk to you that long anyway. So the younger ones can only tolerate tolerate about a 30 or 60 second response. The older ones, if they're like my kid, they can engage maybe about five minutes, but after that, he doesn't want to hear my voice anymore and it's time to move on. So also to think about how much information to give. You don't have to give a ton, give an explanation and then move on. How does someone know when they should seek help from a professional? This is a really, really good question. And so um, let me give you my simple answer. If it crosses your mind that is something wrong, go to your doctor. You can go to your primary care doctor. You can go to your gynecologist, your pediatrician, a college counseling center there on a campus that you're on or a community counseling center. So there's several different avenues But if it crosses your mind, if someone in your life says, are you okay? You seem different. And they've said that to you repeatedly. Might be time. I often say, don't you make the choice of do you need the help? You let me determine if you need to see me or see someone like me or not. Now, that's the simple answer. The real answer is just really like we talked about before. If you're experiencing disruptions in your daily functioning over time, it's time. Now, remember what the criteria that what we use is two months. My suggestion is don't let it go two months. If you're feeling down, lethargic, withdrawn, lacking motivation, that feeling of I just don't want to, if you're calling into work or missing classes or not showing up for different uh, social events that you've previously agreed to, and you've been doing that for about two weeks, I say go ahead and make contact with your uh, healthcare provider and talk to them about it. Let them guide you through the process. When we intervene earlier, just like with any medical condition, you intervene earlier, the better outcome, the better prognosis. You know, I often liken it to to Tamiflu. You know, you get the flu, the Tamiflu has to kick in within 48 hours. You have to kind of get that of the onset of the symptoms, and it shortens the amount of time that you feel ill. This is the same way. If when you first start feeling kind of yucky, we're able to intervene. We can shorten a lot of times the amount of time that you're just not feeling good and kind of get you back to your normal life. And that's what's important. Is there anything else you'd like to add? You know, I think with all what we're dealing with, I think it's important to remember two things. It's okay to not be okay. It's totally okay. 
Allow yourself permission to own that. The second thing is remember that by nature, humans are resilient. You know, things are time limited and we'll get through this. It takes so much more strength to say, I'm not okay or something's going on with me and talk to your healthcare provider about that than it does not to. We often think that strength comes in holding it all in and, you know, trying to get through it ourselves. That's not strength. That's easy. It's much harder to own the fact that you need help. So don't be afraid to do that. Allow people to help you. Allow people like me to treat you and your life becomes much more full, richer, and you can experience really the things that you are desiring for your life. Well, thanks so much for coming on our podcast and giving us all this wonderful advice. Thank you, Melissa. This is just such an important topic. You know, it's time for us to really advocate for mental health care and to take care of ourselves and, and not just ourselves, take care of those around you. You know, if you see someone that looks different or is behaving different, say something. People need to know that you see them and that they that you care. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks for listening to Get on the Mend. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Get on the Mend is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. <music>